This morning, beings of grace and mercy and peace, Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus. We will turn to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting at the 14th verse and through the 28th. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself, sorry, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I through Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come unto you, upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. When he goeth, he taketh to himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. 
and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. And, but he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. There is so much in this that I read, and some of it I probably won't even begin to go into. It just seemed that it was appropriate to read it, to maybe put the text that seemed to be the portion that God gave to to look at a little more, put it in context. We... um, we see that Jesus was casting the devil out of people, out of someone. And he's accused of something, that he is doing it by the power of the devil. And he, this isn't exactly what he says, but he tells them that that's foolishness, that it would not work that way. Satan was against himself, even that he would fall. I find it interesting here that he says, if I was the finger of God, cast out devils. It is something that, I don't know whether it's just me or what it, is, but it seems that it would be a big deal and a lot of power to cast the devil out of someone. <clears throat> and I know there's people that they say, well, someone has a devil or whatever, and maybe in some cases, yes, it is. <clears throat> but it often seems that it is something that is beyond our ability to cast those things out. Yet with God, it is a small thing. Christ here says it is even with the finger of God that he has done this. It's just a because of finger in it. It gives me a little bit of perspective of the power that God has and the ability that he He has. It tells us in a number of places that with man, whatever this thing happens to be, that it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I think it would do us well to remember those things. And... Maybe I'm just looking at myself, but I think all of us perhaps have these tendencies that when we pray about a situation or something that seems impossible, and I find myself sometimes, yes, I pray about it, and and yet I wonder, well, is, does God have the ability to change this? Yes, he does. And if he doesn't change it, it's not because he can't, it's because he in his wisdom is doing things in his own time. Or he, in his wisdom, understands that that situation should be like that for this period of time. And I think that as Christians, my mind goes maybe to this verse, if I can turn to it here. Where is it even? In Thessalonians, in the Thessalonians, it says, <clears throat> Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If we are walking by that Spirit of God, where we're at and what is happening to us, that is God's will for us at that time. I'm not saying that we can't get out on our own and be self-willed and do what we want to do and get ourselves into problems. But I guess I've seen too many things to not believe that God can even use those things to accomplish good. He can use our experiences that are very bad and very contrary to his will. And he brings us through them and out of them. And then he can use us to encourage others, warn others. It is one of the powers that God displays for us, that we can see his ability to take care of all things. 
So this is what Jesus is doing in there, telling him. And I guess maybe I'll say this just so that, to me, the gist of this portion of Scripture here, of what it's telling us, is the importance that things are done according to God's will, and that we would not leave certain parts out, or we would not try to skip certain things. That how God lays out in his word that things are to be done and to do, that that is how he has set them out. And we as people cannot bypass certain portions of scripture. We cannot decide that, no, we're going to do things this way instead and it'll work out in the end. No, we are to do things the way God has instructed. And I guess the final verse of it that I read, and that's why I read it, it says, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And some matters, I guess when it comes to matters of faith, it's hard to put what is more important than others in some senses. But when it comes to the matter of faith and somebody's soul salvation for eternity, it's hard to put and find something that is more important than that. And he tells them here, when a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. I believe that when it talks about the strong man, that is talking about our human nature, and we know how strong our human nature and how self-willed it is. And our human nature has the ability to think that it can control (coughs) things in life. And there's some people that really struggle with that, that if they don't feel like they're in control of things, it causes them problems. And it isn't that we would say, well, I have no control over anything. Yes, we have control over the decisions we make. But the Spirit of God, we would ask that it would guide us in those things. But this, it tells (coughs) that when a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are at peace. If someone is walking if I would say in unbelief, and they're looking after their things, and they're just walking, and they have, if I say no, um, maybe haven't heard about God, or very little about it, or have had so little exposure to that it's not exposed, they're just at peace walking along, doing their things. They're just walking through life, and the Bible even tells us that, that David marvels, or maybe it's Solomon, sorry, I don't know which one it is, but he marvels that he sees people and they're walking through life and they have no Christianity in their life. And it seems like they have way less problems than he has. He sees that in life, being a Christian, it causes problems as we walk through this life. And he almost would indicate that he feels envious about the freedom that they have to just go through life, and there's lots of worries that they don't have. And in some cases, that's how it would appear. But then it's in the Psalms, and it it carries on, and he tells that then he sees the end of life. He sees where the path leads of someone who has no thoughts or concerns about God to someone who is in living faith, and the the big convergence and the the drastic difference after death. And he, he... says that, yes, he sees that it is worth the trials that it causes. And these people are going along, and it says his goods are in peace. They're just 
happy going through life. And we can see people like that. And sometimes I wonder how it is that they can go through life and deal with some of the problems that life causes, and it seems to be not a big deal. But it says, when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. And I believe that this, when it speaks about a stronger than he, it is that word of God. It comes and touches a heart. It touches someone. It comes and those things that they trusted in, whatever it would be, their ability to handle something, their ability to maybe have a job and provide for their family, and all of a sudden they become sick. Whatever it is that all of a sudden that that, that they trusted in to defend them or to make their life possible and at ease is gone. Their ability to go to work, perhaps it's gone. And that's just one small example. And all of a sudden, they've got a home and a mortgage and a family to feed, and that's gone. And all those that that, that person trusted in, it's gone. But I think even deeper than this, than that, it's there's those people who they know the word of God and they share it. And the word of God, the Bible would indicate, no matter who it is that's sharing it, it has power. It has the ability to touch hearts. It has the ability to direct people as to what is moral and what is not moral. And I think one of the biggest indicators of that is we see how the world has a problem with the word of God. And we see it in our nation. We see it in other nations, how they want it kicked out of schools, kicked out of the legal system. Why is that? It isn't that there's bad stuff in here. Even people who <clears throat> don't claim any belief in God, yes, they can find things and look in there and say, well, this is what it says, and that's bad. But they even they have to admit that there is lots of good in the Word of God. No, I believe it is because the Word of God has the ability to prick hearts. It has the ability to make people realize that no, I am not all that I want to be and in control of everything for myself and my destiny, that there is a God that made me. And as much as people want to deny that and avoid that, the word of God has the ability to raise that fact in hearts, no matter where it is coming from. Jesus, he says in this 23rd verse, something really interesting. And I think it is what made me pause to listen. It's like, why is this verse here? It says, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And I believe that this is the verse that tells us and warns us as living Christians. What I mentioned earlier, that when we are speaking about God's word, when we are sharing that gospel message, when we are sharing with someone the way of salvation, that we would do it in truth and in completeness and ask that the Spirit of God would direct us and guide us. We understand Jesus' disciples came to him and said, hey, we saw someone casting out devils and they aren't part of our group and we shut them down. And Jesus says, no, don't do that, that if they're not against us, they're on our part. I don't think it is our job to worry about what other people are doing. 
We can trust the Spirit can work in all hearts. It can work in our hearts. It can work in their hearts. And God has the ability to turn people. But he tells us that if we, if someone is not with Christ, if someone is not doing things with the leading of that Holy Spirit, if they are doing it on their own, outside of the Spirit, just in their own zeal, it says that they are not gathering with Christ. They are scattering. And we see that in the world around us. There is so-called Christian churches. But what they teach does not line up with God's word. It takes bits of it and, and pieces of it and leaves out portions and would tell people that, well, there's different ways of getting to heaven or whatever it is, or maybe the focus is actually with some doctrines. They take God's word and then turn it so that it would be something that would be just appealing to the flesh, that we would have great riches here in this life if we have God in our lives. And they don't worry about the true importance of eternity. And we see that it is, it's not gathering people to Christ, it's scattering them away from them. And it's putting burdens on people that are horrible. It's putting a path before them that does not lead to peace and comfort. It leads to despair and eventually, if they don't turn from it, to eternal destruction. And it's horrible. And I believe that it is what he is saying in that verse, that if we are not teaching, walking, living, according to the completeness and fullness of God's word, it's a problem and it just causes bigger problems. They're scattering the sheep, as it says. It says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest. There is more to being a Christian than just getting that bad the sin out of us, if I put it that way. That evil spirit, that evil inclination. One, we can't really do that because it's our flesh. But yes, we can change and become good people. We can change our walk so that we are doing good things instead of bad things. We are living upright moral lives instead of horrible, degraded ones. Whatever you want to say. And that evil that we used to do, we don't do it anymore. But, he said, he walketh through dry places. It's a hard road to walk. And we call it legalism oftentimes. Because life becomes a bunch of do's and don'ts. If you do this and don't do that, and as you get here, you don't do this, and you make sure you do this. And there is no end of do's and don'ts. Human nature and the devil can come up with an unlimited number of do's and don'ts. And the devil doesn't really care if someone's in that place. He'll come up with things to to keep them busy doing and don'ting. But it's a hard walk. And it's very dry. There isn't that word of life there. It's a thirsty path, if we use that analogy. Jesus knew that. He said... He walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. There's no rest in that kind of a walk. There's no rest in that type of a Christianity. It's a hard walk. It is a constant thirst for that soul that doesn't have what it needs 
to be alive. It's merely something that appeals to our flesh and looks pretty good on the outside. But he says, finding no rest, he said, I will return unto my house whence I came out of. I believe that it's a thing that he's going to look into himself. We look at this house that we've created to see what is here. Is there any rest in this? And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. I believe that it's, it looks good. If we look at the Pharisees, Jesus, he was very, very harsh on them, telling them that they were whited sepulchers that looked good on the outside, but inside were dead man's bones. And I believe that this is much the same thing, that this guy, he just is looking at what it would appear. His house has been cleaned up, the dirty things have been swept out, and that's how it is. We turn to Peter, I think it is. <clears throat> and in, in Peter, the end of Peter's first letter, he writes these words. Um, it says, um, like figure, well, it, I don't know where to start here. This is the way it's written. It's hard to start from there. But it says, um, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few that were eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he uses that example of how Noah and his family were saved with the ark from the water, saved by the water, however you want to word it, it carried them up, but they were in that ark. And it says even baptism doth now doth now save us. And I believe that this is a portion of scripture that I was I was actually contemplating that a little bit, that how come this is written like this, that it would seem so easy for someone to look at that and think, well, and Jesus talks about baptizing with water. We could look at that and say, well, we just have to baptize people with water and, and it saves them. That's what the Bible says right here. I don't believe that is what that is telling us. And I wonder... My mind said, well, why would it be like that? And it came to me that, now I'm jumping all over the place, but Jesus talks in parables to the people. And he says that it is because in the Old Testament, the word said that hearing they would hear not and seeing they would see not. It was to give the disciples to understand these things, but people who were not believers, they didn't understand those things. And that is why it was worded and why he spoke in parables. I don't know. But anyway, that's how it was. That they wouldn't understand unless Christ revealed it. And I believe that this is one of the same things here, that if we do not understand living faith and where salvation comes from, we can get mixed up if we're looking at it with our own reasoning. And it says, even the like figure, even baptism doth not now save us or even now doth save us. (laughs) Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. And I believe that that verse ties in very much with what I was speaking about. It isn't the getting rid of this filth of the flesh that saves us. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit comes and dwells in a heart. Yes, we are encouraged to repent and seek forgiveness. We are to do that. God desires that our hearts would be repentant 
and that we would believe that those sins are forgiven through what Christ has done for us. But God then, if we come with a truly repentant heart, God's Spirit comes and dwells there. It is that baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it is what saves a person. People talk about, and I've had people say, well, you just want to put Christians in a box, and God's bigger than that. But God does lay out parameters. I hope someone corrects me if I'm wrong, but to me, if we are to define a living Christian, it is as simple as someone where the Spirit of God is dwelling in their heart. The Bible tells us how that what we are allowed to share and to preach and what we are encouraged to share with people and encourage them to believe and how faith cometh by hearing. But salvation is of God. When he puts his spirit in a heart, and if I say that, baptism of the Holy Spirit, it isn't the fact that the filth of their flesh is done away with because we still have this flesh. But it's the answer of a good conscience towards God and it tells us why because of what Christ has done the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I think that if we go back to our text with that thought and then we look at in Acts and I maybe look at this portion too much but it's in the story of those people in Samaria when Philip went down there and he preached to them and to me it is warning to us because I think a lot of Churches are willing to leave people in the place where those Samaritans were, and it's similar to this place here who's of this man who's in a dry place. It says they believed, they were baptized, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. As people, as Christians, let us not be comfortable leaving people someplace where they are trying to walk as Christians, in their own strength. The people in the apostles in Jerusalem heard it. It says that they in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had not received, had received the word of God, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. And they came and laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit from Peter and John, it tells us. It's just above where I read in the text, and I quoted this maybe last week, but it's, in fact, I know I did, but it, I'll read it again. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Yes, we are to pray and ask that God would give us of his Spirit. But I don't think there is anything amiss in asking that God would pour his spirit on someone else, on someone who we care about, maybe even someone we don't care about, but who's put on our heart or who we have had interaction with. We can talk to them about how bad their life is and how it would be good if they didn't do certain things or whatever as much as we want. But the truth of the matter is, we are not drawing them, we're just scattering them and giving them do's and don'ts. If that is all our focus is, we can speak of repentance and remission of sins, that they can have that peace of a good conscience before God, but it only comes by faith. This man that it speaks about here, he comes and he finds his house swept and garnished. He sees that, yes, 
Seems like he's living a pretty good life. It says, Then he goeth and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. We see that this man, he was living in, I'll just put it this way, in open sin and didn't see a problem with it. He was comfortable there. He was at peace with what life was about. But he's touched by whatever means that he's touched by God's word. And he sees that, no, there's something I should do. I need to straighten up my life. I need to quit doing these things. And as a Christian, I should be doing these other things. It's a hard life. Jesus tells us that it's a hard road to walk. But he finds that, yes, he looks pretty good. And it says that he brings seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And I believe that is the spirit of self-righteousness. Spirits, if you say, of self-righteousness. You think you're perfect in your own self-righteousness. And perhaps, I don't know, I've never really looked into it, if you would name those spirits, and perhaps it's different from other people. But I think when it says seven, it's telling us that your perfection is in self-righteousness. And they come, self-righteousness comes and dwells in that heart because it's empty. The Spirit of God has not come to dwell there. And it's a dangerous place. And I would pray that none of us would ever, if I say, bring someone to Christianity in such a way that it would only be do's and don'ts and they would have this walk and they could become good in their abilities or in themselves. It isn't in our ability to be good. It's in Christ's ability to be perfect and that we can believe and receive his righteousness for ourselves because we believe his blood has covered the sin and the sin that we are. And it is by faith. And why is it that this state of this man is worse than the first? Because I think we know from experience even, and the word of God would tell us, if someone is living in blatant open sin, they pretty much know it. I know someone who talked about, he was talking about dealing or interacting, dealing, whatever you want to say, with with drug addicts and ones who were addicts, and ones who were recovering, and ones who relapsed. And he said he had never yet found one that didn't believe that they were a big sinner. They knew that what they were doing was a problem, that it was wrong. They were open to that message that we are sinners. They knew it. And that's just one thing. We could look at all kinds of things. If someone is living in open sin, they they might want to deny it, they might want to nullify it, but they know that there's something wrong. If someone is in self-righteousness and feels that they are a good enough person and, and leading a good Christian life because of what a good surface they've managed to make and that people see in their life is good. They're good to their neighbors, they're helpful to others, whatever it is, they don't do certain things. It is hard for that message to come there and say to that heart, no, everything about this is complete nonsense and it is of no value. And if we don't believe this, I think another thing that we can look at to add emphasis to this, if we look at the story about, I believe it's the parable, I guess you'd call it, where Jesus talks about the lost sheep and there's kind of two different examples that he talks about. He speaks of the sheep that's lost on the mountain. 
and the sheep that's lost in the wilderness. And the one in the wilderness, it says that when he goes and brings it back, there's rejoicing. And the one that's on the mountain, it says that if he should find it and bring it back. And I believe that there is a reason, and I think it's the same thing that we're talking about here, that there's if put there. That if someone is on that mountain of self-righteousness, it's hard for human nature to turn from that and say that that is of no use. And we look at Apostle Paul. I believe that that's where he is walking. He tells us that according to this law, he was walking blameless. He felt he was righteous. He stood up and would, I'm sure he would have put himself forward as an example of how it is that you walk as a Christian and find favor with God. God turned him so that he said that was of no use and as good as dung. But we know that God, Christ, came and stopped him dead in his tracks on the road to Damascus and spoke directly to him to stop him on that trail. And how God works with different people, we don't know. But I think it is good of us to be aware of these things and that we would share with people that salvation is through faith in what Christ has done. And there is a freedom in what Christ has done, and there is no freedom in our ability to do anything ourselves. And that no matter whether we are horribly bad sinners or living perfectly upright moral lives without Jesus in our heart, there is repentance necessary and a turning from those things and seeking forgiveness through the blood of Christ and a letting his righteousness be what is good enough for us to stand before God and be called his children. Let us use the whole word of God. Let us not just take bits and pieces. Let us speak the full gospel message or live it or share it. It would seem like a difficult thing, maybe just for me to do, but if I see someone who's whatever they are, say an addict, <clears throat> to come and t not tell them that, no, you need to quit doing that. You need to quit using drugs. You need to straighten up your life. Maybe that's a good thing. But to come to them and say, no, you need Christ. You need to turn to him. Don't worry about the drug thing right now. Come to Christ and believe. Put your faith in him. If anything can give you strength to overcome this drug problem that is a problem, it's him. You can put in all the effort and manage to do it, but if you don't have Christ in your heart, it's of very little use in the long run. And if you were to turn to Christ and repent and put your faith in him, and his spirit were to come and dwell in your heart and you died tomorrow because of your drug thing, victory is gained. It makes very little sense to our human reasoning, but our heart knows that it's true. It's how God works. Jesus says here <coughs> that as he spoke these things, <coughs> it says, A certain woman lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the pap that bear thee in the I'm sorry, the womb that bear thee in the paps which gave thee suck. And we understand that there's whole churches that worship Mary. They say the blessed virgin, we could go on and on with what their focus is, it's not on Christ. Jesus himself says here, no, 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 no. We know that Mary was blessed. She says it herself, that God used her. But that was all it was. He used her that Christ would be born through her. It didn't all of a sudden make her a perfect being or anything. 
She was just another lady. Her salvation wasn't in the fact that she gave birth to Christ. Her salvation was in the fact that 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 baby she gave birth to died on the cross for her sins too. And for ours and mine and yours. And Jesus said, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. If someone comes to us about anything in our life and says, this is what the word of God says about that, no matter how much we would want to balk it, let's listen to the word of God and do what it says. And Jesus himself here promises that it will cause blessings. Following God's word, no matter how difficult for our human nature, there is blessings in it. There's blessings for us. There's blessings for those around us. I pray that we would be given ears and hearts to hear that word and hearts humble and obedient to the word of God. And I would even say bold in bold in the word of God in the fact that if what we are trying to do or trying to instruct or trying to share is according to God's word, let us be bold and confident in that, not in our abilities, in what the word says. There's a freedom in that too, because we don't have to come up with answers. We can turn to this word of God and trust and be sure that it is right. May God add his blessing to his word. In Jesus' name, Shall we receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.